thrilled that you're here. Let's pray, and we'll jump into Hebrews 11. Lord, we thank you that you've given us another day. Thank you that it's hitting the 90s. Thank you for heat, the sun. It's a blessing, all the seasons. Lord, we thank you just for life and for this building to meet in, for the scriptures that shape us, for this community of people that we can lean on in times of trouble and when we're rejoicing to share with. And thank you for this next few moments to think about what's most important. And God, we invite you and ask you to reshape the way we live in light of what we learn about you. Help us, God, to focus so that we can experience life the way you intended. In Jesus' name, uh, amen. If you're just returning, uh, we have been in a series all summer and through the end of September called By Faith. And we're in a longer teaching series through the letter uh, given to the Roman church, which call Romans, which gives us probably the best overview of how to live out following Jesus. But we stopped at Romans 11 because it talked about God's people of faith who were Jewish and non-Jewish and how together God's creating a people to love him and follow him and serve him. And so we've been spending the summer to just investigate faith because it's a popular word. You know, it's okay if you're an artist to get up at an award show and to say, I thank God, right? Or if you're an athlete, say, hi, mom, and then thank God, right? In that order, always thank mom. This is the funniest thing with football season, 300 pounds, oh, hi, mom. You know, maybe I'm the only one enamored by that, but there you go. But we've been looking at what faith looks like in real people. So, so far, we looked at the beginning of the Bible. You have Abel and Enoch and Abraham, and you have uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and Noah, and now we looked at Joseph, and today we're going to look at Moses. And I just want you to see the order, because maybe you're newer to the Bible and not figuring out why, why like rapid fire. It's because the writer of Hebrews sees a bunch of people like us who are in a potentially difficult situation and says, you're not alone. And if case you've forgotten, and then he goes in order throughout the Bible, these people wrestled with stuff. And their faith in God changed things. And so we're looking at their lives to look at our lives and to be grounded. So today I want us to look at Moses. And we'll finish Moses and the people that he leads out of Egypt next week. But why don't we just look at a few verses, just three of them. Hebrews 11, verse 23 through, through to 26. It says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Instead, he, was, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of the Messiah, or Christ, as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Uh, in, in case this is new, when you see Israel or Hebrew or Jewish, it's referring to the same group of people, the, the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So Moses connects with this people and if you're reading the Hebrews, which is written to Jewish Christians, 
you, you find that in their frame of reference, like in America, why don't you help me out? Name, when you think of the history of America, two iconic figures. Just, just. okay, Washington. Washington usually comes up, right, because he had the false teeth or wood that are in the Smithsonian. Okay, and who's the other one? Honest Abe, right? Okay, so we have our two. The Jews had their two. Moses, who we're going to see today, and Abraham, which we saw a couple weeks ago. And just by the way, the way that we know that is that they were the heroes is this writer puts more words about Abraham and Moses than everybody else. So in their view, these are, the, these are like the Washington Lincoln. Let's look at their example. Now, when you look at their lives, a couple of things, in case you haven't read it recently, is faith for them is a journey. This is such an important uh, reminder. Abraham, although he's known as the father of faith, doesn't get all of God in a setting. As a matter of fact, it takes him a few decades to figure out what God is trying to do in his life. That's helpful. Same thing with Moses. His early upbringing, if you read Exodus, his early upbringing was not, he wasn't raised in what we would call church or temple or synagogue. He had to discover, he had to encounter God, and it happened over decades. So faith is a journey. What does that say? Abraham for Moses, for you, for me. Faith for us is a journey of discovery. It is about learning. So if you feel like, I'm not sure, that was Abraham. Or I don't know much, that was Moses. But you can grow. And the purpose of going through these people is to see ourselves and where we are to grow. Now, we're going to look at two things because faith changes things for Abraham and for Moses and for us. I want us to look, we've been looking at what faith is, but today I want us to look at what faith does. Two things, write them down, and I'm going to give you a couple more next week from Moses. But just two this morning to chew on throughout the week. The first thing that faith in Jesus will do, what's the difference, what's the point? Number one, faith conquers our fears. Faith, not just faith as, it's not a nebulous thing, it's not a force, it's not a product. When you begin to learn about Jesus and trust him, what will it do for you? It will give you the ability, not in an instant, it happens over time. Uh, It doesn't mean you won't experience fear, but you can actually conquer some of your greatest fears because of the influence of Jesus in your world. So let me ask you, what are you afraid of? What are you you afraid of? Now, fear is a good thing. Fear will keep you walking off a high place. Like you go to one of the big mountains and explore, and you see the river, like, wow, let me just, no, you don't jump. Hopefully, thankfully, because your fear is when you land, you'll roll, 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 and not make it. Fear, because school is coming back, believe it or not, fear is healthy because it will, it will force you to study before the exam rather than after, right? Fear of failing a class will motivate you. If you got a job, fear will, will keep you at your job on time or early or do a little more, especially when it comes down to there are fewer jobs than people. Fear will motivate you. And that isn't bad. So I'm not saying conquering your fear is getting rid of it, but fear can turn into a phobia. Clinical definition, fear is what we all experience. A phobia is heightened fear to the point where it will keep you from that place, from that person, from that experience. You will not even go near it. Now, we all have small fears that can grow. 
I'll give you the five biggest in the U.S. and look at any psychology little survey. And I looked at a bunch and I narrowed out. They basically say the same thing about us. Number one fear in the U.S., spiders. Okay, I'm going to state the obvious. Spiders are small in relation to you. Spiders don't weigh a lot in relation to you. But the number one fear for us as Americans is spiders. Second, snakes for other obvious slimy reasons. Heights, it keeps people from flying or getting to the edge of a cliff. Uh, crowds, it's why church is hard for lots of people, and I recognize that. Something happens when there's a lot of people, and certain people don't want to be. But it's okay to not like a big crowd, but a phobia is where you won't even show up to the building. And that can become unhealthy if you're not careful. And then finally, uh, rounding out the top five, dogs. Oh, I know. But you, like, love your dog. But if you're a young kid and you have a dog bark at you or bite, that could mark people. A kid experiencing a negative dog incident can can mark them for the rest of their lives. Uh, we, were, we, <laughs> we were shifting the furniture in our basement the other day. And uh, we turned the, the couch over so we could tilt it and move it on the, on the bottom. was a spider. I'm not going to exaggerate, but it was almost the size of my hand, <laughs> give or take. That's small compared to the size of me. But the reaction in our house was gloriously funny because I was the only one left in the room. And, and, and it was so big, usually I'll just squash it with a tissue. I did get a big fly swatter, and I destroyed this thing. Because it was an intrusion. It could be outside, but once it's in my house, you know, there are laws against that. So <laughs> I got rid of the spider, but it was the, it was the reaction. It was the, okay, it's, there, there are four of us, and it's one of them. But fear is a motivating force, and that's all I want to let you know is your fear, you may laugh at the spider thing. Your fears left unchecked will keep you from enjoying things that God has for you, and your fear will keep you from getting involved in things that could be life-giving if it weren't for this internal thing saying, no, no. And so we want to not cave into fear. We want to confront our fears for what they are. Some are healthy and good. And we want to find the negative ones and see where faith can make a difference. So look at it in the life of Moses' family. By faith, we read the beginning part, verse 23, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. It's not like, oh man, he's got the bluest eyes. No, it's not. The idea here is they saw a future in their son. Something was going to happen by faith. God somehow lets mom and dad know, I'm going to use him. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, if you don't know the story, let me recap. Exodus 1 and 2. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph have children. They live in a foreign land, Egypt, and they grow and they multiply. New pharaoh, call him new president. New leader comes. Wow. Looks at the demographics. There are more of these Hebrew or Israeli people. They're, they're really growing. Next pharaoh comes along the scene and says, oh my gosh, they're going to take us over. And he makes them slaves by force. Uh, we look at the evil in our world, and there's evil. You look at dictatorships and terrible rule in our world, and it's evil. But it's not new. So you saw it there. So this, this Egyptian pharaoh takes this people group only based on their last name, on their ethnicity, 
and says, you're going to serve us. So it happens. So you think it's going to stop? No, they multiply the more. And then another Pharaoh co comes and lay adds another layer of evil. I want you to read Exodus 1.22. I'll put it on the screen. Pharaoh, this is a new Pharaoh, gave this order to all the people. Every Hebrew born, uh, every, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but every, let every girl live. Now, you could read the Bible and just go by it and like, okay, I know that happened. Do you realize how sick that is? To remove a whole slew of kids. Now, before this, the Pharaoh said to the equivalent of nurses, the midwives, who, who were also Jewish, said, hey, if it's a boy, kill it at birth. So they won't even know. If it's a girl, let it live. But they refused. They, by faith, said that's evil, and God blessed them. So it goes from worse to worse, but these people begin to live out what they believe in God by opposing, in the rightful sense, what is wrong. So Pharaoh is off, and Moses' parents have a choice. They choose to live by faith. So they keep little Moses for three months. If you have an infant, you realize, you realize how hard it is to keep a little infant quiet, especially around feeding time or diaper changing time or whatever time. They just... They speak when they want. Three months go by. They're tr now, Pharaoh can kill them. I want you to hear this. Their trusting God in the future of their child is putting their life at risk. That's faith. God, we believe this is no ordinary child. But then they can't keep him quiet, so they create a little basket. They weave a little basket, put some pitch in the middle to make it waterproof, put a blanket around the baby, and... In an act of faith, when you read Exodus, this is not neglect. In an act of faith, okay, we can't keep it in our house. His older sister Miriam, go, we're going to put Moses in the water so he goes downstream, trusting that God is going to keep our boy safe. And guess what God does? You know the story? Who picks up Moses? Pharaoh's daughter, she sees that he's a Hebrew child by the kind of blanket. She doesn't kill him. So Moses' parents' faith in the face of fear. You see, their trust in God was bigger than their fear of what Pharaoh can do to them. And as a result, Moses' life is spared. Now, why this whole episode? And I need to let you know why. When they read this letter to the Hebrews, they're living under an oppressive government. They're living not under Pharaoh, but Caesar. And Caesar is the leader of the Roman Empire. And although there's a Senate and there's law, basically Caesar can change the law. And so Caesar, as good as the Romans were in giving us roads and all sorts of delicious food and, and all sorts of good things, the Roman culture was harsh. And so they were recognizing that following Jesus was in opposition to the mindset of Rome. Hebrews. As Jewish followers of Jesus, they could go to synagogue and be safe. You need to know that the Jewish faith was a protected religion in this time in Rome. So as long as they stayed Jewish, go to synagogue, okay. But now they're following this rebel leader called Jesus. And now they're not just meeting in synagogue, they're meeting in homes. And now they're repeating the words of Jesus, which seem countercultural. So sticking up for the name Jesus could cost them. At this point, there isn't severe persecution but the writer sees what's coming and says, don't you forget Moses. Moses' parents. Remember, 
Pharaoh. Moses' parents were faithful and trusted God. God provided and raised up, by the way, Washington, Lincoln. This great hero of our faith was raised up because mom and dad trusted God more than fearing Pharaoh. What am I saying? I'm saying that fear is going to always tempt you to shrink back. Let me give us an example today. It's okay to be a spiritual person in Portland. Nothing wrong with that. Everyone's spiritual. It's okay to be a person of faith in Portland. No one is going to fault you for saying, I have deep beliefs. But when you say, I follow and honor and worship Jesus, that could get you some pushback. And so in the same way, the Hebrews, the Jewish Christians, could like slide back. They could easily just go back to the synagogue, forget about the Messiah, and just do it as I used to do it. And in my heart, love Jesus, but not go public. The writer is reminding us today, not that we're mean and we bully and we look down, but when it comes down to what we believe, that if we truly believe that Jesus is the rescuer and is the Lord and is our leader and is our hope and is coming back and does have our future, if we shrink back on Jesus... That's not living by faith. So we learn from Moses what it means to stand up and Moses' parents. So what do you do when fear whispers in your ear? And that's what fear will do. It won't shout at you. It'll just whisper thoughts in your head about what if, what if, what if. Side, side note before we move on. First thing is faith in Jesus will help you conquer that fear. It'll help you to stand up. It'll give you the strength. But because we're talking about parents, Moses' parents, and many of us, our parents, or maybe God in his goodness will one day make you a parent, this is a good word and reminder about raising kids. Uh, it is easy to fall into fear. I remember when we brought Jonah home uh, from the hospital, I, I didn't put in the, the, the seat belt right to the car seat. And that was like the simplest thing. But the nurse came out and said, oh, you got this wrong. I'm like, I can't even get the car seat. I can't believe they're going to give me the kid. And so we leave, and they, they fix the car seat, and we get him in. We're going on 26 to our, our townhouse that we own in Hillsboro, and we get rear-ended. I'm not even home yet. You want to talk about how fear can grip you. Now, thankfully, it was one of those bumper, bumper. They just hit us. It didn't do anything. We moved on. But fear can begin to grip you about, like, am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? Am I feeding them too much? Am I feeding them too little? Uh, what, if I, what if they don't make this team? Will it crush their spirit? Well, what if I don't push them towards this course? What, what, what if they go, go to school and I didn't train them? What if, what if, what if? If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. And can I just say it's okay to wonder and it's okay to be concerned. You actually should be. Fear is helpful. Like it, it causes us to do something. But fear could turn into a phobia. And, and I want to encourage you, if you have little ones or are helping raise a, a niece or a nephew or a friend, God doesn't want us to live by fear, but rather remember that Jesus loves our kids more than we love them. And Jesus is concerned. And guess what? Jesus is more able to go in, and even in messy situations, turn it for the good. And really, we're called to partner with Jesus in raising kids rather than like, okay, Jesus, you can have them at 18. And he laughs. Like, without me, you wouldn't have had them for 18 minutes. Jesus wants to release us from fear. Practical note, there are things we can do to help. So we are doing this fall. You're going to see a lot on building up family life. So many of us are connected to family. So this fall, 
We are offering a bunch of things. One of them is the Intentional Parents Conference. It's happening early November. And it is a Friday night and half-day Saturday um, seminar put on by Phil and Diane Comer, who helped plant this church, and are focusing these years of their lives, having raised kids and now grandkids, on raising passionate Jesus followers. And there's some things in every stage of life that you can learn. You say, I'm a grandparent. There's some things you can learn about how helping your kids as they're now parents. You say, like, let's say I'm 16, and what am I going to do with this? Time's coming. And if you can get one nugget, it'll be worth the whole weekend. They usually charge for the conference, for materials and all that. We love you enough, and I want everyone there. We just bought it out. So there, there won't be tickets, per se, to buy. But we're, we're asking that you would invite as many parents or would-be parents, and you bring them with, and we'll provide the food, and we'll provide all the material. We want to pack the place out and learn how to not cave into fear and how to, how to grow in allowing Jesus to give us the wisdom that we need. Okay, that's the shameless plug. Remember, face a journey. So if, you know, if you say it's, that would have been helpful 10 years ago. I kind of messed it up. Can I just say, give me a break. Jesus' grace and his ability and his power is bigger than any mess up that I make. And God, he can take care of your past. He can cover over a multitude of mistakes. And by the way, the spirit of Jesus can train your children better than you can. So just release that. And don't give in to future fear. Release the past to God and ask him to guide you day by day. And if you're struggling with fear, which in my little spot as a leader in a church, you're at a crossroads, I see a lot. Um, and if you're saying, Jose, like, you have no idea, fear is gripping me, you are not alone. There are many people in our Jesus-loving community that are absolutely handcuffed. Fear of food, um, fear of future relationships, fear of getting out of the house, fear of driving certain places. Fear is all over the place. Um, the worst thing you could do is hold on to it. Give it to someone in this church. In other words, let someone in. Tell one other person, yeah, I'm not just afraid, I'm paranoid. And what God will do is he'll use that friend to help you. And in your moment of weakness, you won't be alone. And as God gives you victory, that friend will remind you, hey, look, think of where you were two years ago. Jesus is doing something. Don't, don't do it by yourself. All right, fear, faith will help you conquer that fear. Second thing I want us to see in Moses' life, and this is the one that really you and I can control. Fear sometimes seems uncontrollable, but faith helps us and shape our choices. Faith will shape our choices. Uh, look at verse 24, if you would, in the life of Moses. It says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he chose, so this is, you know, faith, uh, fear comes to you. But this stage, now Moses does something. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of the Messiah, Jesus, which I want you to get this. Moses is thousands of years before Jesus. But Moses was looking forward to God's promise we're looking back at God's promise fulfilled, both our faith. So I could look at Moses' faith and learn from it. 
he was looking to God's future, and I'm looking back at what God has already done. But we're both looking. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Jesus as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead. He was looking forward to his reward. What's the story of Moses? Moses, uh, many of us grew up in a mixed home or multicultural or blended family. Moses is in a twist. He's adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's killing his people. So he grows up in it. He doesn't know any better. By the way, the gods of Egypt are not the god that the Israel worships. God, the one God created the heavens and the earth. Egypt says there's a litany, and you got to worship all of them, and you got to appease them with these sacrifices. And so his religious upbringing is conflicted. His people believe there's one creator who rules over all. The gods say no. Uh, uh, Egypt says no. There's sun, and there's moon, and there's stars, and there's river, and there's frogs, and there's locusts, and there's gnats. By the way, the Ten Commandments, I'm sorry, the Ten Plagues, are not just random acts of weirdness by God. Like, why did he make frogs grow? And why did he send locusts ill? And why the gnats? And why darkness? Every one of those judgments are against an Egyptian god. Every one of them. And so what Yahweh, who he later reveals himself to Moses, is saying, Egypt says, this god's to be worshipped. I can raise them up and kill them. I am the creator, not your God. So it's a power play between God and Pharaoh who's worshiping this deity and the creator saying, oh, I'm sorry, you're misguided. Follow me. Pharaoh says no. But faith can shape your, your choices. Moses grows up to the stage where he's a leader. Now he's a leader in his family and he sees what they're doing to his own people. Look at Exodus 2, 11 and 12, just on the screen. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, his own people. Moses is aware he's from this tribe. And he watched them at their hard labor, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Remember, Jewish, Israel, Hebrew, all the same people. One of his own people. What's he going to do? It's okay. If you're in charge, you can beat whoever you want. Moses says No. Looking this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Now, should he have killed him? Should he have just stopped him? The text doesn't say, so don't read into it. All we know is Moses puts his stake in the ground. He puts his foot in the sand, so to speak. And at this point, he goes against his grandfather, who's in charge of everything. I, I need you to... Feel this with me. Moses is a part of, imagine yourself living right now in North Korea. How many people make the rules in North Korea? One. You go against the regime, you die. As a matter of fact, if you're in his own family, uncles die, p anyone against him dies. Moses, in the middle of North Korea, says, this is wrong. I'm standing up for the people who are, who are being mistreated. At this point, his education, his job opportunities, his money, his houses, his position, his life is in danger the moment he goes against Pharaoh. But faith will shape your choices. In other words, at some point in life, you could grow up in a home 
where Jesus is valued. You grew up in a home where the Bible is seen as not just a fairy tale, but a serious book recording God's thoughts and mind. You can go to a, uh, you grew up in a home where coming to gatherings like this or doing things in your house, Christmas, Easter, all that's meaningful. At some point, kids, you're going to have to choose. Is this my parents' faith or is this my faith? And I tell you, Moses is confronted with this, and it is not the popular option. If you think that you're going to wait for the perfect time where you have all your career choices made, relational choices covered, you have all this money, wow, this is great, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. If you think that's going to happen, you are sadly mistaken. What's going to happen is you're going to be confronted with an entire culture who's saying, do what you want, live how you want, enjoy what you want. Your personal satisfaction is the most important thing. And don't let anyone hold you back with some old, archaic morality from the Middle Ages that never worked. And you're going to have to choose, is this ancient wisdom from God worth banking your life on? You go to university and follow the way of Jesus. You probably will not be the most popular person unless you're the superstar on the team and good-looking and all, maybe, maybe. But, but if you stand up for, for what Jesus says is right and what Jesus says is off-limits for our good, then that's going to mean not being invited to some places or parties, not being included, being misunderstood. Guess what? That's Moses. Moses suffers along with the people of God, quote, rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Anything out of bounds with what God has shaped the world to be, sin gets a bad rap. But it's just anything that's out of bounds. We're coming into sports season again. And football makes no sense. Basketball makes no sense. Soccer, lacrosse, I don't care the sport. It makes no sense unless there are boundaries. Three strikes and you are out. Move on. You can't run into the stands and catch a football and it count. The, the in-boundaries and out-of-boundaries is what makes the game the game. And God creates everything, and God simply says, these things are out-of-bounds of health and flourishing and goodness in your world. You could go there. It's not going to work. So God lovingly says, this is how you're to live, and you can choose to follow me. Moses has it all and makes the faith choice. Faith will shape your choices. So I'm grateful to Nate. In leading the way, our family, we're going to learn these together. I would encourage you, kids, no kids, single, matter, whatever, the PDF will be online. Download it. Let's, let's learn truth together, not to be smart, but to be wise. And those truth markers, when you're confronted with something that's opposite, will save you from a whole lot of pain and suffering later. Moses couldn't help his upbringing, by the way. So you're simply saying, well, I just think the way I think and I live the way I live because this was my background. I, I, I don't know any better. And, well, that works for a little bit. And if you're a kid and your parents are teaching you a way and it's off, it's true. In one sense, you're not to be faulted. You were given bad information. But you're here. And you can now choose to feed on yourself on what is right and good and loving and true and grow and flourish. Or you could choose to play the, oh, woe is me. Because that's... I didn't know any better. You, like Moses, can choose. What am I suggesting? Saying yes to God means saying no to Egypt. What does repentance look like? For Moses to repent, 
it, it sounds like an old school word, is he turned from Egypt. Like, this was the vision and values of my parents. This were the, these were the vision and values of my country. Oppressing another people because their last name, the color of their skin, that was okay. But now I'm going God's way, and that is not right. You see, it's a real choice to live a different way and see people differently and act differently, and it costs Moses his livelihood. Where does Moses end up? In the foreign land taking care of animals, which, by the way, is what a slave did in Egypt. He takes the job of a former slave, but you know what? God turns around. What's Moses' life? He spends 40 years of his life leading hundreds of thousands of people into God's blessing. By the way, does Moses ever end up rich? No. Good news. The end of the Jesus rainbow isn't a pot of gold. You may never be rich. You may never be affluent. You may never be important in the scheme of the way this human race sees is important. But in the end, Moses is with God. And in the end, Moses gets what's most valuable is the approval of God. And Moses is the one talked about as someone who is a hero in following the way of God. And Pharaoh is forgotten unless you go to a museum and see the little tomb. My friends, you got to make a choice. So verse 26, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he's looking ahead. And friends, especially young people, here's a matter of perspective. It's easy to make a decision based on tomorrow. Hey, look, I want to be popular. I don't want anyone to make fun of me. But those choices I make with the people really, frankly, don't matter anyway in the span of my whole life. If I'm going to live to impress them, my short-sighted decisions now could get me away from the long term of what God wants to do. So faith means choosing God's way is better, and therefore I want to go that way, even if sometimes it costs me something. Following Jesus is just better. Now, if you think it's just a Moses thing, man, well, that's Moses, but that's not. Jesus is nicer than that. Jesus tames it down. No, he doesn't. Look at uh, Matthew 10, 32 to 33. This is Jesus. Quote, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Moses. Moses goes with God instead of Pharaoh. And God sees that and acknowledges Moses as his. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. So Moses renounces the other gods and goes the way of Yahweh. And in the same way, Jesus is saying to us, Either you're going to follow me or you're not. And in the end, it's not that I don't love you. Of course he loves us. But those who choose to go his way, for the long haul, he is going to say, you're mine. And I know you took the brunt of it. Well done, good and faithful servant of mine. Come in, enjoy your master's feast. Like for all of eternity, beyond this life, come and enjoy everything you suffered there because you thought I was worth it. Man, there are payback schemes in life. You pick the right stock, Apple, when it began, now, uh, Google, oh my gosh. But there are multiplied time blessings. When you go the way of Jesus, you may not get it now. I need you to hear it. You may not get it now. Moses never gets it now. But in the thing that really matters, which is called eternity, he gets every bit of it. Now, if you think Jesus is lowballing it, I'll just continue to read what Jesus said, Matthew 10. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
Does it mean, like, hate your parents? No way. Don't misquote Jesus. He's saying anyone who's willing to listen to their mom and dad who are not following me rather than following me is putting mom and dad as a higher priority than me. Yeah, that's not what it means to follow. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You're a parent. You want to see your kid flourish. But if you're not careful, you could live your whole life worshiping your kids. Worshiping your kids. I don't worship my kids. If you do everything possible to make their life better in the absence of helping them grow closer to Jesus, that's worshiping them. You give them all the toys, all the holidays, all the stuff, all the experiences, and you neglect presenting Jesus to them, then, then who's the priority? Actually, your kids, not Jesus. And he's saying, well, that's not really following me. Whoever doesn't take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life in their own regard is going to lose it. Whoever loses their life, Moses, putting that aside for me will find it. So Moses gives up his whole way to follow God. And in the same way, Jesus says, I want you to get, not give up in the sense of I don't love, respect, care for. Because in the same token, the Bible also says anyone who doesn't care for their own family is worse than a heathen. James tells us clearly, if your family is in need and you don't help your own family, you're worse than someone who doesn't even know God. So of course we love our family. But faith is about making choices. And the choice God wants us to make is priority. Where is Jesus on your scale of priorities? And Jesus is inviting you to make him the supreme priority. And when he's put in his rightful place, everyone else, I love, care for, serve, help, but not above Jesus. So the question is, have you started following Jesus? And that's where this, this leads us to, because Moses makes his choice to leave Egypt and to follow Yahweh as he reveals himself. And in the same regard, i got to ask you, because I'm meeting more and more good people who actually haven't started following Jesus. They're simply going through uh, good things like reading and thinking and praying and studying, but it never comes to the point where they declare to themselves, I'm actually taking this as the way. And I'm actually going to begin to follow this Jesus. And I'm not just going to Jesus and Jesus and Jesus, but no, Jesus. And so I would encourage you now, today's a great day. I'm going to give you a way that you could do it and, and let me know here in just one moment because it's not that hard. All right, two application points and we're going to exercise this because faith without doing something is a waste of time. And I think sometimes we hear messages and don't do anything. So number one, what do I do? I need to bring these fears and I bring them to Jesus. You say, well, he already knows it. He made me this way. Well, Jesus, for some reason, when his disciples asked him to pray, he says, ask. Keep on asking, keep on asking, keep on asking, keep on asking, keep on asking. And seek, keep on seeking, 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 seeking. Knock, keep knocking, 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 knocking. And he says in an example, there was a lady who, who needed justice, and she went to the judge's house, which is terrible. You don't go to the judge's house. It's creepy. But she goes to the judge's house, and she knocks on the door, knocks on the door. Middle of the night, knocks on the door. Help, 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 help. And Jesus says, that lady got justice. Why? 
The judge knew she needed justice, but her pursuit showed her heart. What am I saying? I'm saying every day that I am gripped by that thing, it's okay every day to bring that to Jesus. It's not like, Jesus, you know I'm scared of whatever, and help me out and forget about it. No, I, I continually bring my issues in the workplace, in home, in school, and whatever. And secondly, choose to follow Jesus again and again. If you're going to see fear made low and faith grow in your life, it's going to be lots of what I call micro choices, little choices today. I'll, I'll get, and I'm, not, I'm just giving you practical examples. If you have kids, I get up before my kids just because I'm a morning person. They stay up later than me because I'm the old guy that falls asleep in the middle of the movie. I just do, right? But I'm up early just because my eyes are up. So I go down, brew coffee because that's what Jesus says to do. And I sit on my couch. He speaks to me. Every morning after I drink something. So I get there and I'm, I have my Bible and I pray for my kids by name and I pray for my wife and I, I pray for my family and I pray for this church. Out of religious exercise, no. I don't know what's going to come on. I don't know what today will bring. I don't know what problem. I don't know what challenge. I don't know what blessing. I choose to follow Jesus every day. Not out of religious have to. None of I missed three days. God, forgive me. It's because I want to know what God has for the day. And if God is going to lead me and guide me, I want to put myself in a spot that says, okay, it's the morning. I need you today. And so give those fears to Jesus because he loves you. And secondly, choose to follow him because as you come, you're going to find that Jesus is going to make some things clear in your world. And in order to conquer that fear, he may say, Jose, this person is not helpful. Maybe a little less time with this person. Jose, this habit is not helping you. Jose, we need to look at that habit. Or Jose, you're not doing this life-giving thing. And if you walk in this way, you'll find you'll actually have what you need. All I'm saying is that Jesus is what we need and has what we need, so we should come to Jesus. All right, let's do it. Close your Bible or your book. We're going to take an action step. I'm going to invite all you to do it. Under your seat, there's a little white card, little white index card. And let's do something rather than just yapping about it or listening to it. Let's do something. You're going to notice it's blank. And for our creatives, use the empty side. For those who require lines, because everything must be precise, outside the box or inside the box. Use either side. I don't care. But here's what I want you to do. No joke. Act of faith. We're going to do something. Moses physically leaves Egypt and moves so that he can follow this God that he knows and loves. The followers of Jesus, the apostles, left their home and they physically followed Jesus for three years. Practical steps help us. I'm going to ask you now to think about one, two, three, ten. That's more than one card. But think of one, a fear, an issue, a challenge that you're facing, and that it means something to you. And what I'm going to ask you to do is write it on one of the sides, fold it in half so in worship no one, no one sees it. You don't have to give your name, but I want you to identify it by its name or names. And then we're going to take an act of faith, and when we go to the table in a bit after some singing, I'm going to ask that you take this, and we have bowls in the middle of every table, and you put it in the bowl, you release it, you give it away. 
And in replacement, because giving something away doesn't help unless you replace it, you pick up the bread and the cup as a reminder. No, Jesus, you're bigger than my fear. Jesus, you defeated everything that can hold me back from you. I'm, I'm taking and picking you up, and I'm releasing this fear. You say, Jose, this is like third grade weirdness. No, it's faith. And it's not the action that's important. It's the heart behind the action. And so I'm going to invite you to take a practical step. We're going to look at this as a team, so don't write your name on it. Our, our staff, we meet on Tuesdays for prayer, and we're going to pray over these and, and join you in praying that God will release you from this. But if you've not yet started following Jesus, I'm going to ask you to take one more step. I'm going to ask that you actually write your name on the card, right? You can put your fears as well and say, want to follow Jesus, Jose, and then write your phone number or your email address and fold it up. And when you hand this in, I promise you this, by tomorrow evening, I will call you, I will email you uh, to encourage you. Because we've had this conversation. I'm going to ask someone else to do it. I will do it. And if I can help you in any way, get connected with other people or answer a question or get you a resource, we want to serve one another. And so you say, Jose, I'm afraid of letting anyone know. Let me know. And then maybe I can be of help to you. I promise you by Monday evening, you'll get a text or a phone call or an email. If you say, today I want to choose to follow Jesus. Make sense? Fold it up. Uh, you've had time to do it. Do it now. And then I'm going to step off. The band's going to play for a moment for you to think about. Maybe it's not so clear yet. Write it down. We'll sing and we'll respond and we'll lean these fears over to the bowl and trust that Jesus will care for us.